Welcome to the Drum Shuffle, a podcast offering insights, perspectives, and conversations with drummers. I'm your host, Jamie Eads. Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Drum Shuffle, episode number four. Hope everybody's doing well out there this week. Want to ask a huge favor from everybody. Take just a couple of moments. Go out on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever service you're using to listen to the show. Give us a star rating and a review if you enjoy the show. It continues uh, our growth process here at the Drum Shuffle, and we really do appreciate it. We also love hearing from everybody throughout the week uh, with questions, comments, or suggestions for the show. You can reach us, as always, at thedrumshufflepodcast at gmail.com. Thedrumshuffle.com is our web address, and I'm usually hanging out over at jamieeds.com. We have a great show for you this week. I'm very pleased to have joining me today Phil Verone from Saigon Kick, Skid Row, and most recently playing with Red Dragon Cartel. Now, kids, if you haven't heard of this band, this is Jake E. Lee's new project. Uh, Also has Anthony Esposito from Lynch Mob playing in the band. So it really is truly a super group of musicians. Uh, And Phil's going to tell us a little bit about what they're up to. Uh, So I really want to thank you for being here, but we're really excited uh, to have Phil joining us. Phil was born in New York and moved to Florida at a fairly early age. Just been a fantastic drummer for a lot of years out there on the scene. So please help me welcome to the drum shuffle, Phil Verone. Hey, Phil, how you doing today? I'm doing great, man. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Hey, thanks for coming on the drum shuffle. We really do appreciate it. Hey, my pleasure. My pleasure. Awesome. Um, Phil, I know you're a busy guy, so I promise not to take up too much of your time today, but I really wanted to, um, you know, kind of go through chronologically. Um, You know, I know you're a New York guy and moved to Florida at a fairly early age. Tell us a little bit about how you became a drummer. Uh, Well, it started in grade school in New York, actually, and uh, they had a music program back in those days, and they came around and asked if people wanted to play. I believe it was like fourth grade, roughly, and um, I wanted to play trumpet. That was like the instrument that I thought was the coolest, but um, I had an issue with my ears back then where I, I, you know, I, I had to get an operation on them, you know, like tubes in the ears type thing that kids go through. Sure. And, um, and because of that, the doctor wouldn't allow me to play trumpet because of the pressure to actually blow in the trumpet. And I told them that I wanted to play music, and they said, well, you can play drums, uh, just, you know, wear ear- earplugs or whatever, and it wouldn't affect anything. And that's how it kind of happened. It was, it was by mistake, really. And then I started playing percussion in the orchestra. So from probably fourth till eighth grade, yeah, seventh grade, I played in orchestra. Then I moved to Florida, and um, 
during that time, though, I had a drum set in New York. Like, I, my parents bought me a drum set that I didn't know how to set up or anything, and I just kind of, you know, hit it. And I was playing a Kiss Records and um, Beatles and all kinds of stuff back then. That was, like, in the 70s, like, 70, 77, 78. And then I moved to uh, Florida in 1980 and, and kind of left everything behind. In fact, you want to hear something funny, my first drum set that I got is still uh, in, uh, it's in Florida now at my sister's house. I still have it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I actually want to uh, redo it, you know, kind of, uh, and then just put it in my house. I don't want to play it, but I just, I, I want to definitely do it and kind of, you know, it would definitely be pretty nostalgic and cool. And it was my first drum set ever that I had. So, uh, but I, but one of the things that happened was my parents said, listen, we're going to move to Florida, you know, take only the things that you want. And I ended up leaving that drum set behind at my cousin's house. And that's how I got back because they put it in their basement, forgot about it. And then 40 years later, I got it back. Um, but yeah, so I didn't have a drum. I didn't have drums or anything when I went to Florida and I started playing golf. So I wanted to be a golf pro and I started really getting into um, the drafting. So I was in architecture and that really was where I was at in school. And I was on the golf team. I was doing uh, architecture, and I was taking blocks of classes. I was working for Westinghouse, doing drawings for them and all this stuff, even as a kid. And uh, in 10th grade, a buddy of mine, Tom Reinhardt, who's still my friend, uh, said, hey, man, I heard you play drums. You know, he's like the tough guy in the school. Sure. And, and I said, uh, well, I mean, I was in, you know, I played percussion and stuff. He goes, well, you want to jam? And I remember going... He came over to my house. He, he, we went to his house and got his guitar, and he had a crate amp. He brought it to my house, and I had no, nothing. So I got pots and pans, and I know it sounds cliche, but that's what it was, and wooden spoons, and he played um, Crazy Train. Oh, wow. Ozzy. I was blown away because I had never heard an electric guitar, like, right in front of me. You know, like, I've only heard it on the radio. Like, I couldn't believe someone actually was playing a song like that, you know, and I was just blown away by it. And um, I convinced my parents to get me a drum set, which they did. And uh, yeah, then it just was from that point forward, uh, just, you know, playing. Sure, absolutely. Well, you know, I mean, obviously, um, you had quite a bit of success, you know, (laughs) as a a drummer. Um, You know, our listeners love to hear, you know, the genesis of a great thing. So tell us a little bit about the formation of Saigon Kick and the and the success that you had there. Well, we were all friends. Uh, we were playing uh, the South Florida area, Fort Lauderdale, uh, North Miami, that kind of thing, all the way to a little bit of Palm Beach. But um, it was 1988. And the funny part about Florida was, or any scene for that matter, is it's a very, very incestuous music scene. So everybody kind of played with everybody at that point, you know, like I was in a band with Jason Beeler, the guitar player for, you know, probably a couple of years before Saigon Kick. And, you know, we hated each other and he thought I sucked. <laughs> you know, it was like that kind of stuff. It's always like the rival. Jason is a funny guy because he was very unpopular as, as a, a, a kid. Uh, and not that I was popular, but he was, he always, he was very much a hermit and kind of, just went into his room and just practiced guitar, and he got really great fast. You know, he was one of the best guitar players, and he was, you know, way ahead of us 
uh, as far as playing wise. So uh, every time we got in a band with him, and, and you know, I sucked. I was just starting. You know, like I mean, you you got to start somewhere. Uh, but I think playing with good people also makes you better. So playing with him was definitely something that made me better. But up until Saigon Kick, uh, they had a band called Toy Soldier, and it was Tom Defile, Matt Kramer, Jason, and a guy named Josh. Now, Josh left the band. He was a drummer, a great drummer, and he went and joined River Phoenix's band. Oh, wow. Uh, him and River, yeah, we're really great friends. So um, he was playing with River Phoenix, and that left the drumming seat vacant, and those guys were like, listen, we're just going to, we want to start over. Let's just try to write all the new material. And um, and that was really the formation of Psycho Kick. They came to me. I still tell those guys, like, jokingly, I'm like, the only reason why they let me in the band is because I had a really cool drum set. Because <laughs> I sucked. You well, know, so, it, it's kind uh, of the old yeah. story, you know, that the guy that you hire to be the singer is the guy that has the biggest PA, right? Well, exactly. And it really is kind of like that. I, I We laugh about it now, but I had this incredible drum set because right out of high school, I worked for this production company and I used to drive celebrities or I do fire, or I would run front of house for... Um, for like the old people circuit. So I was like, you know, I would drive, and, and, and it, I, I, I would drive artists like um, Al Martino and, and Margaret Whiting and, and, and uh, uh, who else, Carol Lawrence and all these amazing, the four lads, all these bands or these artists that were, you know, did the old lady, old, not old lady, the old uh, senior citizen tour of these great theaters. So I was making a ton of cash, so I just bought this custom drum set from Resurrection Drums, who I later went to work for. Um, so I had the, I had cases, I had drums and everything. So I really think that was a factor. But once we got together as a band, it kind of just really, you know, it, it, it gelled quick. And uh, within about a year, we basically took over the South Florida music scene. You know, there was nothing else there. So... Uh, that led to the record deal, sure. which was kind of like, we couldn't believe it, because Friday night, Jason Flom and Michael Wagner were in South Florida watching us play, and then uh, Monday morning, we're in L.A. recording. It was that fast. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was it was whirlwind stuff. And it's funny, I, I talk about uh, my experience with uh, recording, and one of the things, even today, which I want, when... when when people ask me advice on on playing drums, you know, kids ask, or or any drummers for that matter, um, I went before I did the first record. I called a buddy of mine, a great great drummer named Keith Cronin, who played drums with Pat Travers as well as uh, Clarence Clemens. Just an incredible guy. Uh, he was in a local scene. He was in the local scene, and he got the Pat Travers gig, so he kind of made it, you know, as far as we were concerned. He was like, oh, cool, he's playing with Pat Travers. Sure. Uh, incredible drummer, though. And uh, he was gracious enough to come down to my uh, rehearsal and just kind of sit with me and, and work me through click track stuff. Because I, I really, up until then, I really hadn't played the click tracks. So I really didn't understand, you know, the click track and, and how it how it works, uh, you know, when it, when it comes down to playing these parts within the songs and how the parts work within the song. It really kind of gave me some insight in that and um, that helped a lot. And then, you know, I'm in LA, I'm sitting in a studio 
we have a record deal. This is three days after our show. You know, I'm 20 something years old. I'm shitting myself, basically. Of course. And I, Michael Wagner, I looked through the glass, and there's Michael Wagner, who pretty much is a producer that produced every hit up until then. You know, every band from yeah. Doc and Motley, Poison, uh, Ozzy, you name it, Dallas Cooper, except it's, you know, the gold of platinum was incredible. And um, so. That's a lot <laughs> of pressure. Really, a lot of pressure. He brings in this amazing kit, this DW kit that was handmade. One of the first ones from uh, uh, Dr. Trump's. I think it was the, the, the company and his uh, tech. Anyway, long story short, we ended up doing played everything live. You know, he just goes, "I want to, I want to hear it live the way that the way I saw it." So the whole band set up together, and we all played. And I played to a click track, but uh, for a couple of songs. But um, as soon as we got done with the first track. And I don't remember what the first track was. I want to say it was New World. Uh, but he, uh, I hear the click, the, uh, the talk back. And he goes, uh, I'll buy that for a dollar. And that was it. <laughs> and that was the start of like, okay, I have confidence now. So, you know, I'll never forget that. It's those little things that along the way that kind of, you know, made you good. And, and that was one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, I mean, that first record, of course, was great. Um, but I think it's it's the second record that you guys did, um, you know, that that kind of blew up. And, yeah. you know, I, I know it was kind of a, a, a trudge, but that record really, it came out right after you guys finished touring on the first album. Um, you know, so you pretty much lived either on the road or in the studio for a, a great period of time there. Yeah, you know, it, the, the second record was kind of, it was weird because we decided to go to Sweden on that record, and uh, which was, I, you know, still to this day, the worst decision of our lives. Working with Ronnie Lottie, of course, was a great thing because he's an incredible uh, engineer. And the studio was wonderful, but in general, I think we kind of lost touch of reality. Uh, you know, Jason and Matt were kind of the, the ego-driven part of the band, and uh, you know, I got no credit whatsoever in anything, uh, including Ed Tom didn't either. And it's funny because, like, even Michael Wagner told me, like, listen, you're you're just as much as the sound of this band as those guys are. Your drumming style, the sounds, all that stuff. Um, but, you know, that was, a, we were always kind of, you know, pushed aside, uh, the bass player and I, uh, and Matt and Jason kind of fueled the thing, you know, just, just all the dumb ego crap that you do when you're a kid and you don't know any better, you know, like that, they, yeah. they were the, the epitome of, of the egos of, of just, we had the worst management in history. I, I still don't call him a manager because he's, he's a crook. He stole from us. He, you know, it's like we were the the poster band of the poster band of what not to do. You know, we got caught up in all that. So one of the decisions was to go to, to go to uh, Sweden and we blew all this money and stuff. And, and I personally think that the, the lizard record sounds awful. It's a terrible sounding record. Uh, but you know, it, it, it came up with this hit, uh, which put the band on the map. So it's like this double edged sword. And, um, but ironically, it's a hit that didn't have any drums on it. And today, to this day, it, it makes me laugh. You know, <laughs> it's like my only hit has a simple crescendo and a couple of floor tom hits. Um, but it is what it is. 
and uh, but yeah, we, we we put that out, and you know, we we did a video uh, for Hostile Youth. We're in Mexico for five days. We're doing this video, and the video is incredible. And then some, you know, program director played Bubbles on the way, and then it just took off. And what are you supposed to do at that point? But I I just remember sitting there going, all right, well I got about six months now because it'll all be over in six months. So we have to ride the wave, and I'm thinking to myself. I got to ride the wave. I got to make the connections. I got to do everything that I can do while people are still taking my phone call because it's all going to end. And sure enough, it did. And then the singer left. So it was just, you know, it was a nightmare without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, it's a shame that, that that's the way the music business works. Um, you know, but I mean, obviously that wasn't, uh, the end of your story. Um, you know, you, you went on, Pretty shortly after that, to uh, to join another <laughs> fairly successful band uh, of the time, uh, Skid Row, and you spent some time with those guys as well. And you know, I think you're on one of the criminally underrated Skid Row records, Thick Skin. You know, so yeah. uh, I mean, that's a really good record that you know I don't think got the attention that it should have, honestly. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny too because you mentioned. Uh, with Saigon Kick, we oddly, uh, this was around when, when Matt left the band in, in, uh, in 93, I think it was, and we, we did three more records without him. And, and it, one of them, well, actually, we had hits in Indonesia, like a lot of Asia stuff. Like we literally, the band itself, if we go to Indonesia, we play arenas. And we had the Water Record, uh, Devil in the Details, and Bastards. Those were the three records. And I'll tell you, Devil in the Details is probably some of my best drumming I've ever done uh, uh, up until I just did the last, you know, Red Dragon Cartel record with Jakey Lee, up until then. But even the Thick Skin record that you mentioned, I love that record. I mean, I absolutely love that record. And it's, it's a great record. It's a great song. It, you know, I'm very proud of the drumming. Stephen Hagler was... Uh, one of the producers on it who produced uh, Fuel and Jimmy's Chicken Shack and stuff, uh, and a drummer. So it was a lot of fun to work with him. And, um, yeah, that record just kind of, you know, got put to the side, unfortunately. But uh, that's, that's how it goes, you know. Absolutely. Well, and, you know, I mean, one of the things that I really wanted you to kind of touch on as well, you know, I mean, we're, we're trying to help drummers, you know, further their careers here on the show and, you know, learn some tips and tricks of, of the industry. But, you know, you're one of those guys that really kind of took control of your career in that, you know, it hasn't all been about just being in a band and and playing and, and touring. You know, you got into some other really cool stuff. I mean, you know, you, you did a full-length movie. Um, you know, you did some comedy there for a little while. You know, tell us a little bit about how, you know, a drummer can take control of their career and branch out and do other, you know, really cool stuff. Well, I think it was, it was very, it was a conscious decision. And when I left Skid Row in, in 05 and I moved to Los Angeles because I wanted to do stand-up comedy. I was writing at the time, I was writing scripts um, and I wanted to act, you know, um, it was a decision that was great artistically, but awful, uh, you know, financially. Because I went broke, because, you know, I left Skid Row, so that was my income. So I had to kind of live off of my my uh, savings, which quickly runs out, you know, and you find yourself 
But I wouldn't change a thing because I, I have to say, doing stand-up comedy was probably the best thing I ever did in my life because as a drummer, I was in the back all the time, like behind a wall of people and sound and all this stuff. And I got a chance to go to the front of the stage. And by doing stand-up, that opened a whole different career of hosting, of um, uh, creating my own show at the improv that I did. You know, uh, and it helped with acting and auditions and all that other stuff. So I had some moderate success doing that type of thing. Uh, but deep down inside, I just always missed drumming, you know, because it, it ultimately comes back down to that. And um, I just was, you know, I, I just needed to get back into playing. So I, that whole time that I was in L.A. and, and all that stuff, I kind of, you know, took the time to do the acting and all that stuff. But man, I really miss playing. So now, you know, I'm kind of back into it. And I've been playing now for about three years, like solid, um, trying to find gigs and, and get back into like drummer shape. Cause that's tough to do as well. Sure. Um, so that's what I've been doing, you know, in my off time. And, and of course the radio station that I have now as well. But yeah, I just, I just think that as a, just because you're a drummer, doesn't mean you're, you're not an artist. I mean, look at Dave Grohl. You know, uh, he comes out from behind the kit and he, you know, <laughs> writes some of the greatest songs ever. Uh, so I don't think that we should be limited to drumming. If, if we're artists, we're artist brains. So if you could do something else, I, I would totally do it. Because I only think it's going to help your drumming, you know, in, in, in some capacity. I, I really do. It took my mind off of everything that I hated about the music business and it made me fall in love with my drums again. And that's something I had to go through uh, in order to play good again, because I was very, you know, pissed off about drums and I didn't want to know about it and I hated it uh, and I hated the people around me. With, uh, you know, in, in, in the beginning with Psycho Kick and all that stuff, my my time at Skid Row was great. I had a really great time with those guys. I really did. It was so much fun, and I got to tour with all my idols. Uh, but I was just burned by that point. You know, I was doing a lot of drugs back then and drinking and just. You know, it just burned me out, and yeah. I just needed a, needed a change, and, and the comedy and all that stuff kind of was there for me, and that's why I did it. Absolutely. Well, and you know, you kind of mentioned your your radio show um, briefly, you know, and tell us a little bit about Unfiltered. Well, Unfiltered, I, I, I used to have a radio show on Sirius, and um, I really enjoyed radio. I did it for about a year or so, and. I was approached about doing another show here in Las Vegas. Uh, I went and I tried to do my show there, just called Unfiltered with Phil Verone. And that station was just not the place for me, you know. So I decided, you know, I got a bright idea. Let me just get my own station, which I did. Uh, you know, like now I'm kicking myself in the ass every day. Uh, it's fun to get on the air. I mean, I really enjoy radio. I think that it's going to be the end of my career to be on radio. I really believe that because I believe that that's where I should be. Um, and I'm hoping that that will happen. So right now I have unfilteredradio.com. It's an internet station and um, just having a good time. You know, I, I, we're, we're a 24 hour format. We're adding shows as we speak, you know, and, uh, but on the side of it, it's a lot of work. And I have I have other things going on now with drum clinics, and I just did uh, the new uh, Red Drag Cartel record with Jakey e. Lee. We're gonna <clears throat> that record comes out soon, and then we're gonna tour. So there's a lot of stuff happening now. 
this year that's kind of taken me away from the radio. So I'm just enjoying it as I can do it, you know, and uh, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you've mentioned Red Dragon Cartel a couple of times here. And, you know, I I want to say, folks, if if you haven't heard any of this stuff, I mean, this is... I mean, is it fair for me to say, Phil, that this is classic Jakey e. Lee stuff? I mean, the, the new record is called Patina, um, and, and I'm glad to hear that you guys are going to be going out on the road with it. But, um, you know, tell us a little bit about that project and, and working with Jake, because, you know, he's, he's a bona fide guitar god. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's a guitar hero. Um, uh, and it's funny how I was looking for a gig, this was like a year ago, my buddy Scott Wilson, who plays bass in Saving Able, he um, gave me a call, and he goes, hey, man, uh, what would you consider your drumming style? And I'm like, I don't know. I'm a drummer. What do you mean? He goes, well, this is gig. He's being all, like, secretive, you know. Um, I said, well, what's the gig? And he goes, well, I can't say who it is. And I was like, well, if you can't say who it is, like, how am I supposed to, like, tell you if I can play this? Because if it's like, you know, Gloria Stefan, I'm going to say, no, I can't play Latin. <laughs> you know, like, what is the gig? You know, if it's ACDC, I'd go, yeah, of course, I would love to play that. Um, so he's going back and forth with me. And it's funny, too, because I just saw Scott recently, and I still bust his balls about this, you know, because back and forth, back and forth. Brings up Anthony Esposito, great bass player and, and, and producer. And I go, yeah, I know who Anthony is, of course. Uh, he goes, okay, well, Anthony is the bass player. And I'm like, okay, so it's a rock band like Lynch Mob or, you know, like, I, is it Ace Fraley's band? Because I know, you know, sure. uh, Anthony for Ace. And he's like, no. But it's definitely Guitar Hero. I'm like, dude, if you don't tell me who this is, I'm going to strangle you through the phone. I just got <laughs> down to that, you know. And uh, so he tells me that it's uh, Jake, Jakey Lee. And uh, I was like, oh, well, okay. That'd be amazing, you know. I saw Jake in uh, 83 when he was uh, playing with Ozzy and uh, Motley was opening, you know, it was like one of my first shows in that debt, you know, in that time I was a teenager. Man, that's but, a hell of uh, a, hell of a bill right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was, it was incredible, incredible uh, tours. Uh, it was the, uh, uh, the first Motley Crue tour, shout at the devil tour opening for Ozzy. So, um, you know, then, I, cause I'm like, yeah, I'll definitely, I would love to love to know. So, Anthony sends me a couple of tunes, and I'm listening to it, and I'm like, oh, boy, this is going to be, like, work. You know, it's a lot of work here for these songs. I have to learn 10 songs. But they sent me a couple, and I go to rehearsal, and I'm, like, chopping through them, and I'm sending video of me playing. And, you know, I immediately bought my own ticket because I wanted to, you know, audition for the band. So I flew to PA, and uh, Anthony has a farm in PA. And um, he has a studio. is on you know, on the farm, and we all lived in the house, on his house. So I just walk in to meet Jake at that point, you know. He's a quiet cat. Um, and he had his, <laughs> Jake's schedule is completely backwards. So he, we rehearsed from like 11 at night to like 4 in the morning, and then he would sleep all day, you know. <laughs> but, but I didn't. So I would wake up in the morning like around 9 or whatever, and I'd run into rehearsal, and I would just chop wood and drum and drum and drum all day all day all night then we play you know practice the stuff so about a week goes by and um i'm 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 like you know i'm like nervous breakdown here because they didn't tell me if i'm in the band yet like i was there for a week playing these songs like learning all these songs um and finally 
we go to we go to this bar and I'm just sitting there like, you know, stressed out. And the singer goes, Dude, what's wrong with you? I'm like, Do you know if I'm even in this band or not? I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna be sent home tomorrow. I've been here for a week, I'm like losing my mind and uh Right, you just wanna know so, what's up, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, someone's got to say something. And the singer goes, Jake didn't tell you are in the band yet? And I'm like, no. He's like, oh, my God, hold on. And he goes over to Jake. And Jake walks over and he goes, uh, hey, uh, you want to be in the band? <laughs> and I'm like, I, I go, yeah, man, of course. He goes, That's well, hilarious. You know, yeah, he's like, well, it's not going to be that much money. I'm like, is there ever any money? I mean, it's <laughs> about music. He goes, yeah, all right. Well, welcome to the band. It walks away. It was like that. Yeah. And this tremendous relief came over me. And Jake and I are, are such good friends now. He actually lives here in Vegas. So I always, you know, we always go out and stuff. But it, it was funny because, you know, when you join a band and you don't know people, it's, you know, it's kind of that breaking in period. You yeah, know? And, for and sure. It's Jake's band. Okay. Make no bones about it. He's the boss. Right. If whatever whatever he says goes, that's the way it goes. And I actually enjoy that because that leaves no decision making for me whatsoever. Um, you just have to show up and play well, right? I mean, well, yeah. That's I mean, and that was hard enough because so I got the gig. I flew home, and then we were going to start recording drum tracks. So they fly me back, and I get in the studio. We get a drum sound in like ten minutes. Anthony's like a genius in the studio. Um, uh, I just got my new D, D drum kit. You know, they sent them out to me, and I got dream symbols. Like I'm all excited about all this stuff, and I think I know the songs. So we go into studio at like eleven o'clock at night, <laughs> and uh, you know, after I've been you know just playing drums all day, and we record the first song. And now, because they can hear all the drums, because in rehearsal, everything was so loud, Jake was like on 20, uh, they really couldn't hear the drums too well. So then we started doing drum pre-production. Sure. So, uh, and Jake's thing is, is that no edits. So you have to play it through. That, that's, that's the way it goes. So there was no nothing. You know, there, there would be a punch in here and there, but no like, you know, it, we're not editing the track. You have to play from start to finish and then we'll analyze the track, and if it's one thing is off, we'll punch that or whatever. But it was definitely not like how people record these days, where they play a, a verse and then they fly those in. You know, man, that's just like that's so refreshing you know. to hear. You know, yeah. so you know, I've always been a big fan of Jake, and to hear that he does that that way makes me feel even better. You know, <laughs> yeah. so he's a he's a musical guy. In fact, we tuned the the drums, the heads to each song to the key. The snare was the note. The, the root note of the of the song, and then the toms we tuned in key of the note. So like the whole the snare drum itself was because it's so loud and there at all times it had to be the same uh, note as the uh, of the of the song. So I got through takes great takes, and they'd be like, oh, the snare just came untuned. I'm oh like, man, yeah. Um, but it's funny that he. Um, had his things. There were certain things. We changed probably five things per song, 10 songs. So there was about 50 different drum parts that he came up with. A brilliant mind for drumming, uh, which most guitar players aren't, but he is. Right. Uh, he's worked with some incredible drummers too. You know, so when you think about it, uh, it you know, he, he definitely, I listened to everything he had to say. And 
I actually got him screaming like um, of joy twice. Oh, that's awesome. And, and Anthony goes, dude, it cherished those because you don't get those. Uh, and one of them was this one song that he wanted this great Bill Ward break that, that I can't wait for people to hear because it's just like sick Bill Ward, toms everywhere, drumsticks clacking, rims getting hit. He loves that. Like he was all about that, the, the, the organic drumming, you know, um, and, and, and Anthony is like, is a purist. So he's like, you know, no, like we can't have a sticks clacking. And Jake's like, what are you crazy? Like, it's, it's great. It's music. It's like Hendrix, you know, like when they used to do it in the old days. And that's how this record is. It's like seventies cactus. Hendrix, Black Sabbath. It's That's cool. Definitely not like Jake when you were saying is a classic Jake. No, it's not. It's actually, uh, you know, I he they gave me drummers to listen to to get a feel. One of them was of course Carmine Apice on the Cactus stuff, right. Bill Ward on Black Sabbath stuff, um, and, um, and and all Hendrix stuff. You know, like that was the basic the the drumming that they wanted to hear. Uh, which is outside of my comfort zone, but they also allowed me to play the way I do, which was with, you know, with, with toms and world beats and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and I told Jake laughing, I was laughing when I heard that, that Bill Ward stuff. I looked at him and I go, you know, you have some really great ideas and I'm taking all the damn credit. The hell are you? <laughs> and, uh, and I said, I go, you just got me on the cover of Modern Drummer. I'm telling you right now, and I am not even going to mention that you came up with half of this stuff, you know. And we were laughing, but man, that's that's what it was, you know. He he pushed me to the limits. There was one night that I actually was going to give up. Um, I I recorded four songs. I couldn't get the fifth song. Uh, we went in. We did it. I sat there and I'm talking to myself in my bedroom and Anthony heard me and he's like, dude, relax. You know, I'm like, I know he's going to send me home. This is ridiculous. I can't even play my, he's like, will you just relax? You're, you're getting in your brain. And, uh, I was just losing my shit. And, um, I just remember being in the studio and I'm like, I just can't, I, I'm, I'm not going to get this. You know how you get in your head, you know, like the minute you, you just come down on yourself and, and then the reality was like, oh my God, I got Anthony Esposito on bass, I got Jakey Lee on guitar, and what am I doing here? Like all that stuff started going, you yeah. know, which is the worst thing that can happen to you. And uh, and I'm trying to get this part, and I can't, it's not even registering in my head. Like, it's like I never played drums before. And we're just going over and over and trying to do this thing. And they're, you know, they're running tape and they're doing this. And I'm just screaming at the top of my lungs, and I'm getting irritated and crazy. And then I hear the door open in the studio, and I'm like, okay, here it comes. Jake is just going to unload on me right now, you know? And I'm like bracing for impact, and Jake just walks over and he goes, hey, man, um, just play the drums. It's just music. You, you Just play the drums. Stop thinking about it. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Play. And walks away. Calm like that. Like just total, because he, he never raised his voice, ever. I've known him for, you know, a little over a year now. He's so calm and just to the point and, you know, um, and I go, okay. And he went inside and I nailed it. And that's how it works. 
You know, like yeah. that. Again, when you're dealing in the studio, kind of like what, what Michael Wagner did for me, that's what Jake did for me. And uh, with that, I have the best drumming I've ever done in my whole career on this new record. It's it's pretty incredible, actually. That's fantastic. Well, I mean, you know, I think it's, you know, where, you know, preparation and opportunity meet, right? I mean, it's uh, when you get into a situation like that and, and somebody says, hey, man, it's okay. Just go in there and, and do your thing. When you, when you let go of all that mental garbage, you know, the pressure that you're putting on yourself, the, you know, overthinking it, sometimes you just got to let go and, and let the sticks fly. And that's typically when everybody does their best playing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, but, but also too, for me, it was kind of like, I mean, I did some shows with Bobby Kimball from Toto. So I had to play the Toto stuff. So that was a bit, you know, intimidating, but with Jake, it's like, it was, you know, this is a band opportunity. This is like, he's the guitar God. And yeah, that's exactly what happened. It went from, um, wow, I can't do this to, of course I can do this. And now it's like, yeah, now I have the confidence to, to the point where, you know, bands ask me like, what are you doing these days? I'm like, I'm playing with Jake E. Lee. They're like, Oh, well, okay. <laughs> you know, it's like that. Cause they know, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and it's funny, I just did, I, you know, NAM was, was two weeks ago, and um, I played the Bonzo Bash at NAM, which was incredible. It's a and great I event. Played Fool, yeah, I played Fool in the Rain, of course, because that's what I had to do. And, uh, and then we played, I played the Ultimate Jam, uh, NAM Jam, which was on Saturday, and I was playing with Don Dockin, and George Lynch decides that he wants to play. So, you know, then George pops up there. So now it's like you, it's like this guitar God thing. And even when I was talking to George, he goes, all right, you're playing with Jake, right? I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, that's cool. You know, like he, even the guitar, the guitarists are like, yeah, I gotcha. For it, sure. It's, it's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's like that kind of thing. But they also kind of, it kind of puts you in a, a level. And, uh, and that's why I'm so excited to tour because, you know, Jake is going to attract the greatest musicians that are going to come out and see the band. And we as a band know this and we need to be that much better, you know, as a band, uh, to, to play this stuff. And, and quite frankly, I mean, they sent me three tracks just to listen to it and I tried playing them in rehearsal and I really don't know them again. I have to relearn my drum parts cause they, they're hard. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, drumming is hard. Yeah. It's so funny, man. And, uh, yeah. And I just came from rehearsal. As I told you, I'm learning, um, I have for my drum clinics, I have old Saigon kick stuff on tape without the drum mixes. So I get to play to the Saigon kick stuff and I pick some really hard stuff. Um, and, uh, it's hard. I'm like, I got to get the feel again of yeah. stuff that I recorded 20 plus years ago. It's really funny, you know, uh, cause I look back and I go, well, oh, I would have played that better, but then I'm trying to play it now. I'm like, well, maybe this was actually pretty good back then. You know, you, you, but, uh, it kind of stands the, the test of time. Sure. But yeah. Well, we all so. evolve as players and, and, you know, it's even when I listen to stuff that I did, you know, 15, 20 years ago, sometimes I have that cringeworthy moment where I say, gosh, I wish I'd have done that differently. And then there are other times when I say, well, I probably wouldn't play it that way now, but that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, so, 
Um, I, I think it's cool to revisit that stuff. So, Phil, tell us, you know, I know the record, the, the Red Dragon Cartel record is going to be uh, coming out here pretty soon. Um, when can we expect to start seeing some of those tour dates? And, and, you know, what is the scope of the tour? Are you guys going to be out for a long time? Or, um, you know, are you trying to put together your own tour? Just give us some details around that, if you don't mind. Yeah, you know, to be honest with you, I really don't have any because it's it's um, the last I heard we were talking about doing something after summer. Okay. You know, um, I really again, this is when it comes down to I'm just a drummer, as dumb as that sounds, but it, it really is because it's Jake's band. So I kind of wait for um, you know Anthony to tell me what's going on or Jake or whatever. I mean, like last night they sent me the uh, the new logo with the kick drum, the new kick drum logo and, uh, and, and the patina cover. Like, so they're sending me that stuff, you know, and, and telling me what's going on. But as far as touring, uh, I don't really know. It really comes down to Jake, how much he wants to tour. And if we do get a tour, one of the cool things with Jake is, is that it's Jake E. Lee. So he, he definitely will get the opportunity to, you know, put the band in front of big bands. You know, so we're kind of hoping for a tour like that. And if that's the case, then we're, you know, we're at the mercy of that band. So we would be out on the road for as long as that. So right. all those things are up in the air. I'm just kind of waiting and hoping that we start touring soon because I can't wait to, one, get it back on the road, but two, play these songs, you know. Um, and then the fans are going to love this stuff. And we're playing, I think we're playing four songs off the first record. So, uh, which is uh, going to be fun as well because they're really cool tunes. So we'll see what happens. Yeah, it sounds like it's going to be a, a, a good time uh, when you guys get out there. Um, Phil, I, I know I promised I wouldn't keep you too long. I Just one final question, if I may. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we ask everybody that comes on the show, you know, uh, we've got a lot of great guys and gals that listen to the show. Give us your one best piece of advice for drummers. Uh, for drummers, I and, and the same thing I always tell, um, when it comes down to, to studio stuff um, and playing within a song, that you play for the song, it's not about you, it's about the band. And in a case like me where I'm hired, you listen to the boss and you take it in. But if I had one thing, and again, what I went through, which was, playing to click tracks and learning groove with a click and learning, understanding the groove. I think that is what bands miss so much in this day and age when everyone's doing programming and all this other stuff that the feels are so gone in these bands. Um, to me, it's all about the feel and it doesn't have to be perfect. You know, I mean, the greatest drum tracks in history are not perfect. John Bonham, uh, Bill Ward, Carmine Apice. You know, like the, the, the Alex Van Halen. These are incredible drum takes that are not perfect. They're just, it's all about the feel. Um, and don't get caught up in trying to out-drum your guy. Do what you do great, because that's what I do. Because I know the guy next to me can out-drum me in two seconds. I, I, saw, I see 12-year-old girls that can out-drum me, you know, <laughs> as far as, you know, it's incredible, the kids today. But so what I do is what I do my style great and that gets you the gigs because if somebody loves your style and you do it great you will be hired and you will play that 
and you will get fans and you'll get the respect. Absolutely. So, Phil, um, tell us where we can find all the goings on in in your world. Uh, I know you have a web address. Can you give that to us so we can uh, track you down out there in cyberspace? Sure. Yeah, it's just philbarone.com. Everything's on there. All my social media links are on there as well. Um, all my schedule. I got a drum. I got a drum uh, clinic coming up in um, Fort Collins, Colorado, on March third. All my appearances. Everything's on there. I have a new merchandise line as well. So philbarone.com for everything, and also as a contact as well. So if you want to send me some emails, or whatever, you can get get me uh, through the uh, website. Awesome. Phil, thank you so much for coming on the Drum Shuffle. We really appreciate it. We'd love to have you back sometime. Um, you know, after the Red Dragon Cartel tour uh, wraps up, come back and, and tell us how it went and what lies in store for you after that chapter. Absolutely. Look forward to it. All right, Phil, thanks so much, and we'll talk to you real soon. All right. Thank you, man. All right. Bye bye. So as you can hear there, we had a little bit of a connection issue with the telephone uh, during the first half of our interview with Phil, and I do apologize for that. We did our best to get that cleaned up for you. I didn't want to uh, not publish this episode simply because Phil's insights into expanding our horizons and trying different things to further our careers as drummers was certainly a great point and I wanted to share that with you. Uh, it does happen when you're doing live interviews. Sometimes you have a bad connection uh, and, and stuff just happens. So again, our apologies for the poor audio on Phil's end of the telephone conversation. Please, please keep reaching out to us via email. We can be reached at the drum shuffle podcast at gmail.com. Hit us up on the website, thedrumshuffle.com. You can also find me over at jamieeds.com. Take just a moment out of your busy schedule, if you would, please. Give us a star rating on whatever service you're using to listen to the show. Uh, write us a review. We really do appreciate it, and it does help us to continue to grow, which is the goal for the Drum Shuffle. So, until next time, may your heads stay strong and your sticks never break. Cheers. Cheers.